Barry Sherry here. Thanks for tuning in to Pink Noise, a radio show dedicated to amplifying the voices of those who have mined and shined their inner gold. I'm recording on board a floating home that I share with my partner in Seattle, Washington. I would like to acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral lands of the Duwamish people, past and present. Today's conversation is with an individual who is more interested in the quality of connection he has with others than the quality of cash returns on his business endeavors. He's made the transition from successful entrepreneur to successful human being, less focused on the doing. We talk about how connection and belonging is what we are wired for and how it's the antidote to loneliness and cover the mysteries behind male friendships and how essential they are to build. Aaron tells me we live into how we are treated, which is a line that stands out to me about halfway through our conversation. Before we end, he covers the four things you can do to move from your head to your heart. Here we go. Welcome to Pink Noise, Aaron Kalo. Happy to have you here. Mm, so glad to be here with you. Today, we're going to focus on how we find more meaningful connections and how we create communities. More to the point, how you... <laughs> have created communities. This is, this is how I know you as someone who shows up and gathers like-minded people so that we feel less alone. Mm. The Society for Social Health is how we met, right? Um, and the reason we started that was because it's obvious we are not connected in this world as human beings. So disconnected at an energetic level. You talk about technology all you want, makes it worse. Nine times out of 10, not always. We're connecting now over Zoom, so that's not the case. But man, we are so alone. Lonely has a negative connotation. So I like to use the word alone. We are alone amidst everybody. We can have friends surrounding us. We can walk in big cities. We can be in a great co-working space or working for a company with a lot of fun co-workers. We feel so alone. Alone in the journey, alone in our sadness, alone in the grief, alone in the shame, alone in the activity, alone in life. And we started this conversation around purpose. We, our purpose is to belong to a group we can contribute to. So we just feel good about where we stand in this world. We need to regain that connection and in that aloneness creates fear creates atrocities creates big and desperate acts we need to find it and really work our way back to answering this alone feeling that we have in ourselves that comes up time to time when we're not distracted if we're going to walk down the street man, say hi to some other people i you know, like if you go in the grocery store, why not talk to the checkout clerk? Like we're all people, even if you think you're better than them. Like where, where have we gone? What are we trying to protect? Why don't we want to say hi? Why don't we want to be part of something? I think we want to. We just have lost the natural ability for it to happen, to be in these places where we feel welcomed and safe. And yeah, and we need to recognize that. And it's okay to be alone. Believe it or not, most people you're walking by on the street feel alone. It's not just you. That's the worst part of the alone feeling. You think it's just you. It's not just you. I feel alone in tons of my journey and I'm connected to a lot of people in a lot of groups. And so we got to remember like, this is a thing that we all need to solve together. We need to be brave and courageous because there's a lot of shame around loneliness and such. I'll leave you with this because I can go on forever. My mother who passed away a year and a half ago said to me once when she was living by herself and I would come pick her up once a day and we had a caretaker check on her during the morning. Said, I'm so sorry, Erin. I was like, what well, mom, what are you sorry about? I, said, I don't mean to be so lonely. 
don't mean to be so lonely. I mean, I have tears just thinking about it. Like I, she's sitting there by herself in her house and now she's not as mobile. So she couldn't go out and say hi to other people in her neighborhood. And oh my God, it breaks my heart. I don't mean to be so lonely. I think that's what we're all kind of saying. I don't mean to be so lonely. You know, and it's not just the elderly, although that's a big, big problem. I don't mean to be so lonely. We need to figure that out because it's heartbreaking for all of us. I'm just sitting with how profound that is, how universal. Yeah. I also made a note to myself that being alone is not loneliness. Right. Because I heard that too. Right. I heard that it's okay to be alone. I learned a lot about myself in the years that I was alone. Yes. It was very important work for me. Yes. I'm convinced that I wouldn't have the love in my life that I have now if I hadn't had the courage to be alone. Mm -hmm. Nomenclature, in my opinion, gets in the way when we're talking about these things chosen solitude to be with yourself i believe is much different than unchosen aloneness on a consistent basis throughout the normalcies of our life so we need the solitude to deeper more deeply connect with ourselves and to the greater so we can be more connected to others for sure yeah thank you why is that important to you oh wow why is that important to me? I think um, first and foremost, uh, having tried to answer that question on an inner journey side, it's because I want to be connected to other people in a deep and meaningful way that sustains me. Um, yeah, you know, there's times in our life where we just realize we feel called towards something. And I've always felt called towards gathering people and bringing them together, um, probably simply just because it feels really good. You know, I really start to think about the common conversation on purpose, um, is trying to find our purpose or meaning. And I think so many times in my life, I try to find that in the externalities, right? I have started four businesses, sold a couple of them successfully, you know, I've kind of gone around that path and trying to find my purpose in the external um, seemed vacuous when it was all said and done because it was a actual doing mechanism that had its tangible feelings of like, I did it, I accomplished, um, you know, following my ambitions and buying into all of those false notions, in my opinion, um, didn't fulfill me. And so there's always a gap. There's always a missing piece. And so when I started following like my bigger need, which was to be in deeper connection and community, I was like, oh, wow, this, this hits all of the things um, for me. And so, yeah, following, our, a lot of people would say following our wound sometimes is what our calling can be in life. And so part of my wound as a child was moving many times and not having close knit small group of friends. Um, always just outside of the cool kid, kids group, right? Or the inner crowd or whatever. And I kind of reveled in that, you know, over time. I created my own identity uh, in that. I could be like the um, de facto captain of the soccer team, but not the official captain. It would kind of be like an example of how that would go down. Um, so, yeah. So, so, yeah, addressing my core needs, my core wound as a way to find more purpose and I use the word more purpose versus the purpose in life. Uh, super helpful and, and still on that journey. I love what you just said there, following more purpose as opposed to the purpose. Mm -hmm. it, it, that feels worth punctuating. I remember having a conversation with another guest who feels there's too much importance put on this sort of holy grail of know your purpose as if if you don't find one you're somehow like missing the point <laughs> of your existence and uh that really landed for me like i noticed my body calmed down my nervous system just relaxed a little bit when i heard her definition of that and her viewpoint 
And so this idea of following more, you know, and I, I, I say often in these programs that what, what turns me on about inviting you and all my other guests into this conversation is that I see you following the thread of aliveness. I see you going towards more fulfillment and putting yourself out there in the world. And that takes courage. It takes faith. It takes knowing, knowing yourself to know what you want to then go get more of it. Yes. And I love to reveal pivot points. Like what your life was like before you got in touch with what you wanted. Sure. Yeah, I can talk to you through a couple pivot points. Um, but I want, would love to go back to this finding the purpose versus being more on purpose, if you will. Mind versus the body soul, right? We have, in my opinion, let our mind take over how we live our life. And so it's really hard because our mind is now trying to tell the mind not to do it this way. And so we are really in a sticky place because we're there because our body knows it's just about what's next in the next day and keep going and be in the flow and feel the energetic connection to what feels right. Our body knows that and our soul really knows that, right? In a deep way. But because our mind keeps wanting answers our mind wants certainty, our mind wants control. You know, the old adage, the mind much rather have certainty than happiness, right? Because it's protecting us from, you know, unknown uh, threats. I, I think is one of the things that really is important for us to remember. And so there's a, a real conversation about being more embodied and more soulful in the way we approach life. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. And to your question about pivots, um, yeah, wasn't too long ago, uh, less than seven years ago, where my identity was very much tied into the concept of being a quote unquote entrepreneur. At this point, a serial one, right? Successful one by, by some standards, very unsuccessful by the standards I live by today. Um, and so I was under the belief that if I accomplished enough, achieved enough, made enough you know money in those achievements that life would play out pretty well right and yet the way i was showing up was so blind and poor um it wasn't in the abusive way but it was just like eye on the prize and everybody else got trampled over Right. And I missed a lot of opportunities for connection and lost a lot of connections in that. And so the pivot, one of the pivot points for me was when I sold my last company to another and we integrated the two as more of a merger and um, basically had a falling out with the uh, other company's founder. And long story short, they went bankrupt, so they couldn't pay what they owed. So what I had, it was a significant amount of money. Um, and I invested a lot of my own money to make that previous company go. And I had lost everything in that, truly everything, to the degree with which I had to sell my house just to pay my bills, um, which was it, was, it was rough. And it was a huge ego blow from somebody who had already made millions selling another company and then blah, blah, blah. Thank God that happened to me. Because without that, I would not have searched a little bit more, a little bit further on what it is I need to do and how I need to be, which was the primary, how I need to be and the energy I need to be in versus what I need to do. And so um, that was one of the pain and pivot points that you know, took some time and um, really got me out of the identity of an entrepreneur uh, and, and that achievement and ambition rewards that come from that. So. Yeah, lots more stories there, but I'll, I'll leave it at that one. I'm curious about the length of time. Mm. Being the, like, the, the, the destruction, mm. you know, being in that painful place. I'm, I'm imagining emotions like anger 
and gosh yeah uh shame how did i get myself here that was a big one that came i would say like a year in so first it was just anger and resentment like you know for lack of a better word what the fuck like how how did that happen why did they why would they do that to me i mean it was ugly and i don't want to get into details or push too much blame on anybody but you know there was a uh, a lawsuit that accused me of all sorts of crazy things, like just to get me to settle for the money they owed me. It, you know, I learned later that was a nice legal tactic of intimidation, but during it, it was terrible. So there was six months of just pure anger and trying to find you know ways to get the old company back and went into bankruptcy and just like trying to cobble it back together. And then there was a letting go. And then there was a forgiveness of myself. There was a recognition of shame. I was embarrassed, really embarrassed, both by my financial situation and by allowing myself to be in that. Like, could I have known better, seen it better, written the contract better, right? It's that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, I would say a few months after that, thank thankfully, I was um, supporting another company and we sold that company too. And so I had some more time. And one of the key things that I have found in, in the advice that I give when people ask for it around, how do I find my next thing, right? You gotta, thank God I had time. I had months and months and months to settle into who I wanted to be. And so that is something that, you know, after two decades of not being that person and having so much wrapped into that, yeah, it took a few more months. I would say a solid year and a half to really start to come out on the other side. And some of that is because I was also working with and for another organization. So I wasn't fully detached from the leadership role of, uh, of corporate work. So um, yeah, that's the answer to the time question. Thanks for walking me back. Sure. What I find is for anyone who is on the process of becoming and maybe they recognize that where they are isn't where they want to be. I find it's helpful to have individuals like yourselves willing to be vulnerable enough to reveal what it was like, where you were, what your thought patterns were saying. And, you know, now fast forward. (laughs) And, and what did that give you access to? I've only recently been able to um, unpack the gifts of my divorce. And all said and done, it's like four years to really move to that true, true place of forgiveness. And I see the beauty in you and forgive myself for abandoning me in that relationship, for owning what was my part in not getting my needs met. I mean, that was me, I was there. A lot lot to say on that topic, if if you like, yeah. (laughs) I mean, forgiveness, right? The true act of forgiveness is the ultimate act of transformation. Right. When you forgive yourself and forgive the other, not in a way with which like you're giving them a hall pass, you know, and still elevating yourself above the situation, but like truly forgiving and knowing that everybody is really doing the best that they can and could at that moment with what they have. And you can look, always look back and know better, always. And so think, yes, that if we didn't, we wouldn't be growing. If we didn't have those moments, then you're in stagnation. So with that, plus um, what I would call atonement, and that has a little bit of a spiritual connotation, like to be able to say out loud to something beyond even yourself, like I have made a mistake. I realize that I wish to move on and forgive and be forgiven. Um, There's a, a real act of surrender I think is so important. So much of what we're trying to do and been taught in this Western world is control and achievement, even competition, kind of a lengthy conversation of its health to us. Like we need to surrender into something that is beyond who we are. And I think one of the biggest challenges we have 
as human beings is somehow thinking we are the masters of the universe and not surrendering to being a small speck of sand flowing with the tide and really having a lot of ease in that. Because once we let go of that, life gets so much easier. Um, and what I'm saying, and I'll, and I'll stop here, is I really think we need to find whatever our spiritual practice is to find a way to connect to something deeper. And I think it's really important for us to do that. And I know religion has tainted a lot of us, but there needs to be something or else life will always feel like it has a missing piece in my experience. I have goosebumps on mm -hmm. my arms right now, just taking in the magnitude of that. Mm -hmm. I, I remember saying, even in my younger years, my 20s or even my 30s, I remember saying things like, I think what, what feels missing is the concept of faith. Right. I'm really grateful that I got the introduction I got to the um, to church. I had a very positive experience with church. The kids, the kids were put in a different room and we got a different talk and we got to talk about values. So I learned through the story of the deer and the bunny in the woods about how forgiveness works mm -hmm. and how trust works and how honesty works. And all of these core values were told to me in stories about, I just, I really remember animals in the woods and the bunny and the deer, and, you know, they'd stumble upon another creature and they would, um, you know, either, either have loyalty in their friendship with one another, or they would show compassion to another living thing by taking care. And maybe it's an animal that once hurt them, you know, but here they are showing compassion. I mean, I couldn't agree more, like values aligned community. So you could call that spiritual community if you wanted to, but you don't have to practice dogma to be in the same energy and want to be living the same type of way. You know, one of the things it is missing in a lot of the programs and the books that are out there to grow ourselves, both spiritually or at a more um, self-development type of level is doing it with other people. We cannot do this alone. We cannot fight this battle alone. We are not built to do it. We are not solo creatures crawling through the night. We don't do that. And when we do, we really have problems. This is why, you know, anytime there is uh, some level of atrocity that is out there, you know, uh, a mass killing or anything like that, the issue is not the person. The issue is us. This is a result of us not having a place for that individual to feel safe and connected and find their path and find a sense of values. And so we're just reminded time and time again, the ugliness is a reflection of us not coming to that place. Wow. Having just returned from Vancouver Island, which is the place where I was born and raised and the level of grief going on in British Columbia right now with the discoveries that these mass graves of children at the sites of residential schools of First Nations children and the amount of collective grieving going on, the, the generational trauma sustained in white-bodied Canadians realizing what their ancestors were responsible for, and in the bodies of First Nations people who are missing their elders, thousands of would-be elders who are not passing on the stories of the families. And think about the elder situation in modern society, who are our elders. I mean, every time I get amazed when, when the question is asked in one of the self-development programs I've been part of or been leading, um, especially in men's work, by the way, too, which would be happy to go there. 
who, you know, who do you revere? Who do you look up to? And I'm hearing Gandhi. He's been dead for a long time, right? Martin Luther King, same. Who are our modern day? And so we look at our corporate leaders, not so much. We obviously look at our political leaders, don't think so. We are missing that piece and we need to come back to that. They are out there, by the way. They are people who are living good, healthy, quality lives and willing to do that. But we just, we're looking for the shiny object. I'll add one more piece. When we as a society revere and spend our time with adulation for entertainers and athletes. God love them, they're doing their job, but they're not in it to be the elder or to be the mentor or to be the idol. We're really in a bad place, bad place. And so we're, we're left with a huge void of like, where do we go? What do we do? How do we show up? And, and I say that in, I want to pull it back up and we have so much opportunity and so much is happening. So much awareness is unfolding. And so I really see a bright, bright light kind of shining through, even though we're talking about some of the ugliness that has gotten to us where we are. I'm hearing you say that in the lack of admirable leaders, we don't know what to, who to aspire to be or how to behave. Uh-huh. We watch people is how we behave, but not the words we watch them. So when somebody walks with grace in this world, we can feel it. It is never a word that they say that we know they're coming from a place of grace. And yeah, I think that's a big issue. If you think about men, right? There's an argument to be said that um, men, you could even go as far if you want to say white men, but I don't think that's the important uh, element here, have really created a lot of suffering and damage in this world over the last 500 years. <sighs> We've lost our sense of what it means to be a father, a father that's in a community, right? So not fatherhood, the puritanic way of this nuclear family has also created challenge because it said the family is everything because we had to because we were in these more pilgrim-like villages that maybe only one or two families there. We need a family of fathers, a community of fathers with us. And if we don't have that, father not supporting father, two fathers supporting each other is so needed. And we don't, we don't have those kind of things. And that's just one of a thousand examples. Us men are terrible at making deep friendships, right? Hey, do you want to go grab a coffee? The other guy looks at you like, you're thinking, A, what's wrong with him? B, I don't really know you that well. C, I don't have enough time. I'm too busy. Or D, this might sound a little crude. Are you gay? Like, this is how us men work. I mean, how terrible is that? You want to just grab a coffee and connect further. We've been so habituated to like, we need activities that we can't even offer that as an opening to connect. And it's getting better. And we're realizing these, the vulnerability and the authenticity conversations, the mindfulness conversations, we're getting there. But we, we, we've got some generations of um, calcification around us that don't make it easy. I love that this is a big part of your work, Aaron. And a, a quick story from my life that really shone a light into how awkward or uncomfortable it can be for men to want to lean in to more intimacy with each other in a platonic way. And so as 1999 was becoming 2000, I wrote the dream. I wrote the manifesto. This is what I'm looking for. And I invited six women into this circle. I wasn't looking for more friends. I was looking for more quality relationships with the women I already knew. We just called ourselves the girls group. And there, there was a few credos, you know, like um, this is a commitment, this once a month commitment. You don't cancel it because your lover gave you a better offer or you had a tough day at work or you just don't feel like it. Um, and what we share is sacred. And I was noticing that friend A had something in common with friend C, but I was the only link between them. But if they could share those stories with knowing that there was some confidentiality around the content that they could both win. 
And so how can I create the circle of trust with these women I knew independently, if I could bring them together, there could be a lot of healing and growth and transformation. And so this went on for eight years. And during that time, my husband, you know, a couple years in is like, I'm jealous. I see what you have here. I want this. How can I invite my friends into something that feels this connected, this special, this sacred? And you named it. You said men have to have an activity. And because my ex-husband is an artist, he created a group that he called 575, the pentameter of a Japanese haiku. And that, and that was the entry. You had to write a haiku on the topic that he created once a month, and then they'd get together and make stuff. I mean, I remember one time the stuff that they made was a macaroni mask. So, and my uh, ex-husband's mom is a, is a sculptor, is an amazing uh, ceramic artist. And so there's an abundance of clay that's accessible in his life. So one time they sculpted and then she fired them and then they glazed them, and fired them again. So creating these art projects together is the way in which I watched him bond and connect and build deeper friendships with people. Mm-hmm. But it couldn't be just the way it was for me, which is, hey guys, hey gals, can we be more intimate and real with each other? Yeah, it's hard for us men to do that, um, but it's changing. Uh, you know, I started something in the town I used to live in called the Dad's League. And so it was kind of cool. A, it gave uh, permission for men to go out and hang out because it's kind of now a soft dad thing versus a bunch of guys going out and drinking and what, you know, what's a gift another wants that to happen on a regular basis. Um, and two is around a league activity. So bowling or poker or things like that. And we built in the intimacy connection points into those activities, check-ins, we would share things like, you know, what do we love most and resent most about our significant other? this week and just name it right and just to name it sometimes for anybody let alone men is half the battle um we mentioned uh the group before we started the podcast every man um that i'm working with right now it's really powerful because the groups and the circles that they have created and helped initiate are simply men getting together to talk and so this is really starting to happen like people men are realizing they need that and almost ubiquitously, they need deeper and more meaningful connections in their life. And there's a real awakening that's happening there. So I'm very optimistic about it, but we need to mentor our boys. We need to really, um, I'll go out a little bit on the skinny branches here and say, we need to stop shaming men. Shame doesn't get us anywhere. The shame blame game doesn't help. We can call out what has happened and what needs to be worked on. But from there, we need to give everybody the room to grow into who they can be, not hold them to who they might have been or what they have inherited. And so we have to get past that shame and blame game. Otherwise, we're just going to relive our past because that's all that's presently being discussed. And we're treated like that. And we'll live into how we're treated. And it's hard, right? It's hard. Because I even think about things like, what does it mean to have justice, right? And I, I have been in the social justice movement in a couple different vocations. And I worry that the connotation of justice is retribution for past atrocities. And if we're trying to even the scale we have missed the act that you and I talked about in the beginning, which is forgiveness and surrender so we can move on. And so we can always play the justice game. It doesn't mean we don't need to be finding our path to equality, for sure. But when we keep looking to the past to equal a better future, I worry about that. There's so much nuance in all of that. And I don't I pretend to have like, what's the right way? Or are we talking about money or any of that? It's just the energy the consistency of energy. When we're in negative energy, we don't get a place to release. So we need to find a way to do that. Men need a pass to move forward from all of us, especially each other. Yeah. 
I'm hearing this emphasis put on moving on and seeing the possibility of who you can become and not putting in the box of who you've been. And the only thought that occurred to me as I heard you say that is that dance that you can be stuck in when you desperately want to be understood. Yes. And you're spending more time trying to be understood than understanding the other. And it feels like from my experience, I know that I soften and I surrender when I feel seen. Mm -hmm. So now we can move on. So, and so what, what's, what that circle looks like for me is please reflect that you've heard where I've been hurt so I can feel seen and now we can move forward. It's beautiful because there's a, a trajectory. There's the naming what happens. We're all on the same page. There's a being seen on both sides of any action. And then there's a moving forward. Um, I'll make it personal. This happened to me yesterday in therapy with my wife. I'm going to try to protect her and, and all of this and, and just take my, my side of this. And there was a place where we were covering a past energy that was showing up for me. And really, on, uh, out of character, I was cutting her off while she was sharing that, you know, to the therapist. And I was just like, all right, hon, like, uh, you know, it just wasn't me. I'm usually just, I've been trained, if nothing else, to be a good listener. And, and I was like, what the hell was happening there, Aaron? And it was this story. It's like, I didn't want to live out an old story and rehash that. I wanted to live into the new story, the new place, the place that we are now and the place we're heading um, and it doesn't give me a justification for my poor communication behavior, by the way. It just was that's what's actually was happening, you know? And I'm sure a lot of people can, can relate to that in their significant relation. Like, oh, not here, not this again. Da, 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 da. And I think a big problem with us, with our significant others, is we do get trapped into an identity that doesn't let us grow. And we got to give room to our loved ones to grow into something versus, you know, living into that past way i'm appreciating your ability to reflect on something so fresh hmm. yeah. i feel i i feel honored that you'd share that with me yeah i realized i realized a while ago i, I am perfect at one thing in this world and it's being an imperfect human and regardless of how much work i have done and traject there is so much more left to do and yeah and actually, here's another one that I really like, and I wish I would talk about it more. So maybe this is my start. When we start to do spiritual practice, there's a real chance of skipping the difficult emotional work that needs to be done that happens in the day-to-day. Because -day. a lot of us just want to say, oh, let's just both surrender and let go and move on. And that it's both in, and that's true. And we need to work on the knots and the things that created this for us a lot of times I spent years just skipping over all of that and be like, oh, I just want to play up here and just be, and there's all this shit that needs to, needs to get named, needs to be, be made aware so you can move on. So this isn't so difficult. It comes so natural. And so um, I don't know why I felt like mentioning that, but I feel like it is an important part of this process because we can, it's both and what level are we playing at? Spiritual, emotional, physical, and they all interchange at all times. And it's helpful for me to have that recognition. When I was on Vancouver Island, I was speaking to uh, an amazing healer, goddess, someone I interviewed in the Waybacks, Kim Wilson. And she is really focused on spiritual bypassing. And, and I, I believe that's the label given to what you're talking about right now, which is moving, wanting to leapfrog over the crunchy parts to uh, to sit on your meditation stool and be with what is without looking at the uncomfortable feelings. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly what's happening for a lot of us. And we also gotta be careful not to put everything into a box. So there's times when it's time to be spiritual, right? And move past the, the things that have been named. And there's times where you need to hold tight to the, the process of 
unlocking what's been holding you back. Um, yeah, and and I and great, uh, great. We're having this conversation that even spiritual bypassing is a thing, right? That we actually have some awareness now, and and yeah, and I always think of this as um, kind of look at it like an infinity loop where we're just on the inner downside of the inner journey and then on the upside and we cross over, which is maybe this point of human connection. And then we're on the outer, we're on the downside of the outer and then the upside. And maybe this thing isn't really going anywhere, but we're deepening the impression into this proverbial wood and the edges are getting a little smoother so we can work out and through and out. And there's no, not really going anywhere. We're just smoothing out the edges. And if I think about through that, the lens of time and where our energy goes after we pass away, I mean, that could be the proverbial infinity loop. That's really just what's happening. I love that visual that you created for me in that story of how we're moving through time. And I added another layer in my mind, and that is the map of dignity and humility. Um, the teaching that became really a, integrated in my life through Art International, the authentic relating training work that I do. And understanding that every day is an opportunity for me to sit in humility with what I don't know. And at the foot of someone else who has found some truth that's worth listening to and moments where I'm in my dignity sharing moments of my truth with another and so when you talked about the inside and like the inner and outer ring of the infinity loop i imagined you know the inside loop is where i'm sitting in my humility and the outside loop is where i'm standing in my dignity you know and it crosses over and it <laughs> and you just you know keep in that dance of you stay in that equanimous zone, you know, of being open to. Yeah. And you know what I love about the nexus point in there um, is I always look at that um, as the place where things like circle can be, where you're expressing your inner journey, but you're being witnessed by the other. And so it's, that's why those circles and it's small group work is so important in this world with the absence of community to be a regular piece of our life. Like we need be witnessed we need to verbalize express what we're going through because there's a different alchemy with it even though we might know it when we say there's something there and i think it's just so powerful for us to realize we need the other to be whole well isn't that dr gabor mate's definition of of trauma is it that it exists in in the absence of an empathic witness when our emotional pain is not witnessed by an empathic other, that is the trauma. The trauma isn't what happened to you. The trauma is lack of an empathic witness of what happened to you. Right, yes, and having that full embodied expression. And yeah, and the shame and blame piece. I mean, there was a time on this earth where shame wasn't a thing, right? You know, I love the story about the Dalai Lama when he found about how much Western shame that's happening in this world. He really couldn't quite understand the word. And it's just a reminder, there's so much we have created ourselves. They are not innate or innate truths that our brain keeps, yeah, keeps doing. I just think it's so important for us to keep peeling back the layers and not accept surface level truth asking the questions, looking for what's real, what feels real, who is real. Yeah, I'm pausing myself there for, for wherever you wanna go next. I actually like to offer some points of awareness to any men listening. What does it look like to take steps towards embracing one's heart? When, when I think about you, Aaron, and this way that I've come to know you as a community builder, I hear you asking meaningful questions and hosting circles around what life is your heart asking you to live? Like you pose questions like this, what life is your heart asking you to live? 
I just marvel at your interest, passion, desire to gather humans around a question like that. Mm. I'm just guessing that you might have a few steps to offer others, especially men. Yeah. Yeah. And I love your your talk about humility too, by the way. That's a really big piece. So I'm just going to name that before I give the steps, which is uh, there's an adage in the Christian uh, religion of the meek shall inherit the earth. And I think the word meek has many meanings, but one is those that are humble because those with the big ambitions and egos will crumble. They will, they will fall apart upon themselves, right? And those of us who can sit in our own energy shall inherit it. And so humility is so important. Um, so to your, your question, how, how do we, I'll just put it this way. How do we start to get out of our head and into our heart and really find a more soulful path to life? Just a more easeful way. The first thing is space, in my opinion. We have to give ourselves more space. If you find yourself going from one thing to the next, one activity to the next, one phone call to the next, and there's no space in between, you're gonna find yourself in constant reaction to your stimulus, right? So I'll just take the classic day. You wake up, you check the phone. You're now reacting to what's happening in the world. Your world, maybe. Maybe it's just text messages or if it's Instagram. Then you get up and you turn on TV or a podcast or something like that. There's nothing wrong. It's a very healthy and very good podcast out there, as we know. Um, but now you're, now you're also taking in more and you're reacting to that energy. And, and on we go, and then the day starts. And if you work, you're going to work. If you've got a child, you're starting with your child. And so here we are in constant reaction. And because of this, we have found it's very uncomfortable to be in space and to be in silence, right? So one easy step to do is to ask yourself where in your day you're gonna give yourself space. That can be just a simple 10 minute walk with no device. That could be the car ride where you're gonna turn off the radio and just sit there and have some space to allow yourself not to just think, because we always like, I wanna give myself something, but just to settle, right? The snow globe is so agitated all the time, just to settle. So space is, is the first. Um, the second is, it's just to ask the questions, like, what is it I really want out of my life? what's not working for me and hasn't worked for a long time. What, you know, here's one, you know, we always ask about purpose. So instead of saying what, you know, what is my purpose or what am I supposed to do? Flipping that around and asking what are the signs from the universe? What is the universe asking me? There's so many signs that we just look around and and they're silent. So taking time and space and asking some of the deeper questions because, you know, at risk of going long here, I would say when you ask somebody, what are their values? Nine, maybe eight times out of 10, there's a long pause. And then there's sometimes a regurgitation of some values they learned in Sunday school, right? Or, or, or church or, or some of the golden rules and, and such. Even if we're able to cite those, which come first, why and how are we living into those values? We have to ask ourselves because if not, we're untethered. We're pulled by the latest distraction, the latest shiny object, the latest thing that gets our attention. Usually that's around money. So like, and so we go chase the dollar, we go chase the lifestyle and with no reason, and here we are, we find ourselves, and then we, some of us sit in the, the perfect house with all the toys. And you ask yourself, well, what the hell is that all about? So the sooner we can start asking those questions better. And then the last piece is around our relationships. Um, who do we feel truly connected to that we could trust and we can share? And how often are we doing that trust and sharing? 
you know, when I look at the words social health, which is one that uh, I've been playing with for a few years now, you know, the frequency and depth of our connections is the formula to a great life. How often do we even lightly connect with people in a, in a genuine way? Hi to your neighbor, the smile, that just that, or that once a week deep conversation with a good friend or that circle you have or whatever. So that, that's how I would look at it. Time, the big questions, and then who are the connections that can start to support you in this revisiting of a journey? Thank you. That seems like a concrete path. Yeah, yeah, there's so many nuances and I'm sure we could have and other manifestations come up like the nine steps, whatever, but if you start to even just address a little bit of that, yeah. I'd one more thing. I would really take time to journal on where I spend my time in the day. So at the end of the day or the beginning of the, the day after, what did I do in the day? Just check it out. And what are you consuming? So, so much we're consuming is so negative. News is a great example, but the consumption of that, the consumption of what we put in our bodies too is really creating a lot of um, unhealthiness. And you can just circle your activities and then put an R or a D next to those activities. R being high residency, energy was high. Really made me feel good. Or a D, energy was low, I had dissonance. It just wasn't just create a low energy for me. And you can circle R's and D's and you can start to see some trends. You can see that with people. You can see that in other places. You got to take a real healthy look at what we're doing here. And I will say this, it's not fair. We are living in a world that has all these things going on and the, like, the tide is pulling in the opposite direction. It's asking us to do these things. It's asking us to go faster. It's asking us to achieve. It's talking about being more productive. Here sits Aaron. He was very productive. God rest his soul. Whew, man, please know, right? But the way I was acting for 20 years as an entrepreneur, you would think that that was my highest moral value. Productivity, producing something efficiently. And here we sit, man. We all are bought into this, this notions, these notions, not all of us, sorry. It's a very wide generalization, but so many. And so many of us who are not are fighting against it because so many of our friends and colleagues are playing in that game. And so we're pulling apart. So we almost have to redefine what it means to be in community and in connection and reestablish that in a way that yeah, either goes back to our roots or hasn't been done before or a combination therein. Yeah. When you said about here we sit and the world that we're living in and the things that it's asking of us to pay more attention to this app, to consume this media, to buy this product, to this, this life and the things that we're supposed to value because our forefathers valued them, right. because we grew up in a system that seemed to value them. When that doesn't resonate with us, We look inside and we run the risk of calling ourselves wrong. Oh, there's something wrong with me. I don't fit in this world. What is wrong with me? And I think when enough of us gather, we can say, it's not us, it's them. We need to live in a different system. Exactly. <clears throat> if you're saying out there, you're listening to us right now, what's wrong with me or I don't fit in. Man, you should be jumping for joy because you are feeling the energy and are aware that something is wrong and it is really wrong. I mean, just think about the notions of simple things we say every day. I like nice things. seems pretty innocuous, right? I like nice things. So I'm going to buy a nice car. Or I'll make sure I make enough money to have a nice house. Nice is the real slippery slope. But when I ask somebody, well, where does nice things fall into your value system? There's a long pause, like, because if we have already covered that, like I wanna be a kind person, I wanna 
you know, be served for others, you know, you can go on some, some of the basic lists that most of us fall into Buddhist or Christian values, um, but it doesn't really fit. Or even simple things like the news, I've said many times, to be informed. For 30 years, I thought that was important. I don't see it anywhere in my values list, to be informed, right? Like, and I'm not knocking reading the news, whatever, maybe I am, but like it is, it's not there. And so if that is taking up the predominant headspace in your most creative time, which is usually the morning for most of us, and now we're thinking about it, we're ruminating about it. Like I used to like, I still pretty much shut up the news, I'm not trying to give myself credit, just kind of where I'm at. But I would even read headlines on the newspaper of the neighbor's driveway. Fuck me up for hours, right? Because I'm just like, I'm like creating this story about so-and-so doing this and then the world's for shit and ay ay ay. And anyway, our little acts, our little statements of mistruths really need to be re-examined um, so we can align them. So there's alignment, energetic alignment with the values we want to live into so we can live an easeful, joyful life. Joy and ease is there. It's simple. It's accessible every moment, every day. We're just making it really hard. Myself included, by the way, I am not, I am not out of this trap that we all are playing in. I know we're coming up close to the end of our hour and there's so many threads I want to pull on. Like even this most recent piece around the news, I, I remember when I made a conscious decision that I am not going to watch the news. I'm not going to read a paper. And it was, it was a friend of mine who came to that conclusion before me and the way that she shared it and she's like, it just adds anxiety to my life. There's not enough good news in there for me to want to consume it. It keeps me scared. It keeps me afraid of others. I worry about my safety or um, my car on the street or walking, you know, this path I like to walk on. And that doesn't serve me. I want to have faith in humanity. And why, why is the news so monetized on fear? Why can't the news be monetized on good, on joyful acts of kindness? What if that was the most revered type of news story to share in the world? when someone did something good, when a new garden was planted in an urban community, let's, let's make that headline news. Yeah, when you think about the news uh, and then they're uh, castigating politicians for um, politicizing fear as their platform, the news itself has to look a little bit in, inward and, you know, the, it's the whole model. And it's because that used to sell more headlines for newspapers. They tested it, fear-based news. And so here we are in a system that asks us to base our lives on, you just hit it, fear. Fear, you need to save enough money. Fear, right? Fear, you need to make sure you stay informed so you know what's going on around you. Fear. All of these things are just fear-based. They're not the way we're supposed to live as animals and alone humans. And so we, we've created a, a way to always kind of protect ourselves. And if we're always trying to protect ourselves, how are we going to connect to ourselves, let alone to others? Two open hearts connect, two protective minds just have an interesting debate, right? And when we start to also intellectualize these conversations, we get into a real problem. When we intellectualize spirituality, we miss the whole fucking point. I say that for a reason. I chose that word not out of slippage or default. It's because it just is the energy exchange of what these things mean. We don't need to have our minds have to figure it out and slice and dice it. So I just, I'm not saying it's bad to intellectualize these things. I'm just saying we need to be aware of what we're doing being you know need to be aware thanks Aaron I'll be sure to put links to your communities online and offer your email in the show notes so wonderful to spend this time with you thanks the work that you're doing is so beautiful and meaningful and I
getting to know your heart a little more. It's very warm and joyful. And it reminds me that there are more good people doing good work in this world.